James chapter 4, 1 through 10. How to end wars and fights. All the quarrels that we have in our life. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells within us yearns jealousy, but he gives more grace through, therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Higher and higher, that's right. Amen. That is the word of God. You may be seated. Wars and fights, they're happening all around us. Quarrels, arguments. Now remember, the theme of James is genuine faith produces genuine works. Okay, your turn. Genuine faith produces genuine works. Good job. Last week we talked about God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom, and there was a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Remember, the, the way we define wisdom was this. In the Zadiati's Greek text, he says it's the knowledge of how to regulate one's relationship with God. It is to view life from God's perspective. View life from God's perspective. Proverbs 8.35, I ask you to consider memorizing this because it talks about wisdom. Whoever finds me, speaking of wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Now the question is, whoever finds me, is wisdom hidden? Is God's wisdom hidden? And I would say, definitely it is not hidden. How do I know that? Because in Proverbs 9.3, we see these words. God's wisdom is crying out. From the places of the city, it is crying out to the people, come to me, come to me. Wisdom starts. Wisdom has a birthplace. And I don't know if you remember this, but in Proverbs 9.10, we saw that wisdom's birthplace starts with the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Remember that fear in the Hebrew was yare, yare, and that is, a, that is an awesome respect, an awesome honoring of God. It can mean tremulous fear, but it can also mean Awesome respect, and in context, that's what it is. Awesome respect. If one searches for godly wisdom, what will they find? What will they see in an individual or a person with godly wisdom? Well, we learn two things. Number one in James 3.13, good behavior. And the second one was meekness. Meekness. Now, remember, good behavior is a life change by returning to the truth of the Word of God. You leave the land of the foolish when you turn to the truths of the Word of God. And meekness, many times people look at meekness as being a jellyfish, being a mamsy-pamsy. Oh, that's not what the Word of God means. Meekness is strength under control, like a horse brought under control, or a teacher that, is, that has control of his emotions during a debate, something like that. It is, it is strength under control. And the fruit of godly wisdom, we saw in verse 17, starts with purity. Love is pure. It starts with purity. And it ends in verse 18 with peace and righteousness. Peace, and, peace in the heart of the person and a righteous life. 
Now, what does worldly wisdom look like? Well, it doesn't look anything like godly wisdom. Bitter envy and self-seeking is the model for worldly wisdom. The self-life, the me, myself, and I life. And we learned that the root of the me, myself, and I life, it comes from being earthly, sensual, and demonic. That was verse 15 last week. From the world, the flesh, and the devil. And remember, all of these entities are battling for your soul, for your thoughts, feelings, emotions, that sort of thing. Ultimately, worldly wisdom has its product, and it produces confusion in every evil thing. That was verse 16. Watch for this in yourself when you're dealing with the world around you, whether you're dealing with worldly wisdom or godly wisdom, and watch for it in others. And when you see it, take a hard stop, evaluate what is going on in your life, and see the situation from God's perspective. That gets you started on your godly wisdom. Our battle, folks, and it is a battle, remember we said this last time, is to combat worldly wisdom and disinformation that denies God's presence. We are to engage the culture, engage our circle of influence with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That is our job. Now, the things that might help you, I gave you four things that would help you with this, to discern truth in in, in times that are confusing. Is this godly wisdom or is this from the world? Four things. Number one was the motives test. Are your motives pure? Is it honoring? Is it obedient to the word of God? Is it kind to whom you are dealing with? Secondly was the peace test. Am I really seeking peace? Am I gentle? Am I willing to yield? The third test was use the mask wearer test. This is the hypocrite test. Am I two-faced? Am I acting this way with this group of people or with this person? and another way with another group of people or those or that person. Am I real? And finally, it's the righteousness test. Do I have the fruit of righteousness? Am I looking more like Jesus and less like the old me? That's the test. Do, does my life look like godly wisdom? Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom, there is a big difference. Proverbs 8.35, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. This week, how to end fights and wars. How to end fights and wars within yourself and within your sphere of influence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you teach us today truths from your word. And as always, we ask that you teach us things we do not know and what you have taught us help us to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how to stop wars and fights. That is our title. How godly wisdom deals with wars and fights. Well, first of all, I want to think about this. Think about this. Our biggest war and fight is not with people, but with God. Isn't that something? It's not with people, but with God. Chapter 4 is a continuation of the destructive tongue. Remember, Lasha Hara, the evil tongue. And worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. It's not in isolation. James is still addressing the brethren in 3.1. He's talking to Christian people who have, who have to deal with the evil tongue, who have to deal with this conflict with worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, who have to deal with wars and fights within our own being and with other people. We don't always control our tongues. We don't always walk in worldly wisdom. Sometimes issues will degenerate into wars and fights. Sometimes issues will degenerate into wars and fights. So let's define what a war is. Well, wars are quarrels, prolonged hostilities. 
these prolonged feelings of unrest that you might have within yourself or within yourself with another person or with even God. And fights are the individual battles. These are the flare-ups that come up. You know, you don't have a lot of battles in a war. There's a lot of downtime in war. But you have these flare-ups that come up. And that's what happens in our own being. Those, and they come from unresolved issues. When you see this, when you see the evil tongue, worldly wisdom, wars and fights, think of this, fallen nature. You are acting in your old man, your old nature. It's a failure to put off the old man and put on the, on the new man. In Colossians chapter 3, we see a very good example of the putting off the old and putting on the new. We've been to this verse like a jillion times in this church, so it should sound familiar to you. When you're dealing with the old man, listen to the war language that is used by Paul. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Now, who is to put off these things? You yourself. You know why? Because you've been born again. The Holy Spirit resides within you. He's given you the power to live differently. Now you have to act on what you have, the power that you have. So you yourself are to put off all of these and listen to the war language. Anger. And remember, that's the simmering anger. That is orge in the Greek. And then wrath are those, are those bursts of violence. Malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his needs and his deeds and have put on the new man as renewed in knowledge. And in verse 12, we see what happens when the spirit takes control. There's peace language, peace language. This is the new man as the elect of God put on. Then it says tender mercies. That's compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. Again, strength under control, long-suffering, bearing with one another. That's putting up with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all of these things that were mentioned here, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, how in the world do we do that? Well, he doesn't leave you hanging. He tells you in the next verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to put off the old and put on the new, you must dwell, take time in the word of Christ to allow it to change your heart. You know, change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. It doesn't just happen by wishing and hoping. It happens by spending time with the master. With the master, that is what we must do. Galatians 5.16 says this. This is what God expects of the brethren, of everyone born again of the Spirit. He expects this. Walk in the Spirit. Live life in the Spirit. That's what walk means. Live life in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Chuck Swindoll has this to say about fighting and, and, and that sort of thing. He says this. The fact that we have a pugnacious nature, a fighting nature is a is not a new problem either. Beginning in the field with Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain killed his brother Abel over jealousy. Human history is more easily traced by the bloody path of its fights than by its accomplishments. That path, sad to say, also cuts right through the church. Denominations bomb one another in Ireland. Seminaries clash over doctrines. You're a Calvinist. You're an Arminian. And they fight with each other. Authors attack over authors with other authors in print. And on it goes, right down to the individual squabbles with people and bodies. It isn't surprising then that James addresses the problem of conflicts with Christians. 
Fighting and worshiping. Fighting then worshiping. Fighting then worshiping. It's gone on for 2,000 years and it still goes on today. And James jumps into the fray with some hard-hitting advice on how to deal with wars and fights among the brethren. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you ever wonder, when you're in this mess of life and you're starting to disintegrate in relationship, did you ever wonder how in the world did it ever get to this point? It can happen fast. Husband and wives, all of a sudden you're at each other and you're going, wow, did that ever deteriorate quickly? Boom. And you want to backtrack, but the words are already out and the pain has already taken place. And it doesn't get corrected in a second. Be very careful. What happened to us? Why did this explosion occur? Why am I living continuously with this chaos? Why is my tongue lashing out, the lashahara? Why is that lashing out? I wish I could have taken that back. How many times have you thought that one? Oh, man, I wish I didn't say that. Hey, when you're type A and you're very blabby, you have a problem with this saying something and going, oh, wow, I wish I would have taken that back. If you're type B and you hardly ever talk, you don't have this issue. Okay? It might not be as problematic for you, but it's problematic for us that are type A's. The root of the problem is, ex is exposed in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 and 3, the cause of it all is our desire for pleasure. You know who the Holy Spirit lays it on? He lays it on us. He lays it on us. Watch this. Verses 1 through 3. Where do wars and fights come from among you, among the group? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members that's inside your being? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Lust, desire. The word, the word for desire is hedone, H-E-D-O-N-E. And it means this, to crave pleasure, to crave gratification. Isn't that the way humanity is today? We get the word hedonism from that. Hedonism is a belief that pleasure is the chief goal of life. Now, isn't that the mantra for 2018 America? Hedonism, pleasure, is the a, is a chief goal of life. The source of these wars is within us, within our members, the fallen nature. The Spirit of God, speaking through James, lays it right where it's supposed to be. It is on us. There is an ongoing war in ourselves for who is going to dominate. Is it going to be our old fleshly nature? Or is it going to be our spirit-controlled nature? Who's going to win? And I'll tell you, this war isn't just something that, that goes on for a couple days or a couple weeks or a couple months. This war will go on inside of you until you are no longer here, until you are in a state of perfection, a state of glorification, when you are perfect. That doesn't happen on this side. We're being conformed to the likeness of Christ, but it's never going to fully come to fruition until we are in heaven with Jesus. So we have to learn how to deal with these things. Remember, the nature that you feed will be the nature that dominates. If you feed your flesh with the worldly delights, your flesh, I don't care if you're a Christian, how, how long you've been a Christian, you take a foray into the world, you feed your flesh with worldly delights, and your flesh will dominate and chaos will come into your world. Remember, sin is fun for a season. Sin is fun for a season. That's why people do it but it always has a consequence. 
It, and that's always greater than what you ever anticipated. If the Spirit dominates and you're in the Word of God, you're with God's people, you're praying, those types of things, the Spirit dominates, then these things start to happen in your life. You'll notice this. It's a process. It doesn't happen like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, I read the Bible. Now I expect to have these things. No, it happens. It's a process. Peace will start to increase in your being. Your purpose for life will start to become more apparent. And God's presence, you will sense his presence like never before. You spend time with God, he will spend time with you. And you will hear that another few seconds here when we get further on into James' teaching today. This is the reason that your mind must be transformed and changed. We have to think differently. The battleground is the mind, and then your mind has to be transformed and changed. And that's Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Notice how you do it. You offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. You place it on the altar. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give it all to God. And then he will transform you by the renewing of your mind. That's what is required. We can no longer think like the old us. It is a process that takes place when we spend time with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10.5 encourages us to take captive every thought. Why does he encourage us to do that? Because the battle is for the mind. And we have the Spirit of God resonant within us, and we can. We can take captive the mind. We can live with a transformed mind. That's the encouragement, not to live like the old us. Why does God not answer our prayers? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder, Lord, why are you not answering this prayer? I mean, I've been bringing this to you and bringing this to you. Well, James has an answer here. You do not have because you do not ask. You may be so far from God, you don't ask. Or, in your arrogance, in your hubris, arrogance, you ask for a do-what-I-want-God prayer. Do what I want, God. I want my will to be done. Not thy will be done, my will to be done. You ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. We ask with wrong motives. A commentator named Curtis Vaughn says this, Their requests were legitimate but the reason for making them was illegitimate. They wanted only to satisfy their own cravings, pamper their own passions. God's glory, God's service, considerations were for other people. None of these things entered into their thinking. Such prayers are an insult to God. Isn't that something? The self-centered, all about me, myself, and I, I really want my will and not your will, God, is an insult to God. Think about this. Your pursuit of pleasure, hedonism, or stuff will never make you happy or content. It will not. The self-life will not make you content. What's a common thing the world says to you? Or, or someone will say to you that's, that is taking a foray into the world. I just want to have a little fun. I just want to have a little fun. The world, the flesh, and it's not that you can't have fun as a Christian, but fun from the world's viewpoint is the antithesis of Christianity. You're going to places that you shouldn't go. You're going to places that take drain from you the goodness and input into you the badness. The self-life, the endless cycle of up and down, the cause is our desire for pleasure. Our desire for pleasure. Verse 4 says, And James doesn't soften his words. 
Watch how he comes. You think James is seeker-sensitive? Is he really like touchy-feely in this? Watch what he says. Plain words to unfaithful believers. Verse 4. He just, and this is said with an exclamation point. Notice in your Bibles. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or an enemy of God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those are strong words. Adulteresses and adulteresses. He's not, he's not discriminating between men and women. It's all of us are involved in this thing. Why does the Holy Spirit say this so profoundly, so loudly in our face? He wants us to make no mistake about it, that if we are friends with the world, if we are at home in the world, if we are comfortable in the world, this is adultery to God if you are a believer. You are being unfaithful to God. That is exactly what he's saying. And it makes you an enemy of God. Now, you won't hear this most places. You won't hear this because this isn't touchy-feely wormy. But this is the truth. This is the truth. And I want you to think about this. You might not like the way God wants you to run your life. That's a little too rigid. You, say, you, you want me to do that, God? I mean, obey that? I mean, I'm having a hard time with this. You cannot fight with God and win. If you are a believer, just indelibly imprint this in your mind, you cannot fight with God and win. No enemy of God can, can win. And I want to suggest to you that your arms are too short to box with God. You'll see a picture here in just a second. This is you boxing with God. Okay, this is you. That ain't going to work. James Weldon Johnson wrote this in a book entitled God's Trombones. He began one poem about the prodigal son with these words, and he says this, Young man, young man, your arms are too short to box with God. The prophet Isaiah gives us some clarity on who God is and who we are. Notice what he says. God says this about himself. Whenever you're thinking you're, you're full of yourself, I'm something. God says this, I, even I, am the Lord, Isaiah 43, 11. And besides me, there is no other Savior. Who does that eliminate? All other world religions, ourselves being God on the throne. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God, I am in control, I am sovereign. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one, focus on this, there is no one who can deliver out of my hand, I work, and who will reverse it? No one can do that. No one can do that. God is in control, and we are not. Look at the alligator's going to come up. This is us when we fight with God. I mean, we cannot outbox God. Isn't that something? He will pummel you because he loves you. He's not doing this because he wants to be mean to you. Whenever he disciplines you, more on this later, but he does it because he loves you. Friendship with the world. The world is the cosmos. The world apart from God. is The cosmos is the world apart from God. And is this, it's the self-centered, Satan-controlled philosophy that is hostile to God. We have something called cosmos motivation. And it means handling conflicts by fighting and pushing and demanding. Fighting, pushing, and demanding until you get exactly what you want 
when you want it. Do you ever run into people like that? You bet. You ran into you. You ran into you from time to time. That's, we, that's, that's how we all take this journey. It's us saying this, Lord, your way is not the best way. I know what's best. Now, isn't that just the epitome of arrogance? I know what is best. I will satisfy my needs by doing it the world's way instead of your way, God. Isn't that something? Donald W. Burdick puts it this way. For a believer, to have a warm, familiar attitude towards the evil world is to be on good terms with God's enemy. Let me say it again. To have a warm, familiar attitude towards this evil world is to be on good terms with God's enemy. It is to adopt the world's set of values and, and want what the world wants instead of choosing according to divine standards. The person who deliberately chooses to be a friend of the world, by that choice, becomes an enemy of God. Isn't that strong words? And it can be Christians. We can walk in that way. What might this look like? Well, manipulating to get ahead. You could be acting as an enemy of God. Using people to get ahead. At home in the world's places. At home with the world's language. At home with the world's values. You're acting as an enemy of God. Ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit. Remember, Scripture says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Knowing and acting against God's word. We're acting as an enemy of God. Look, we've all been there. We all take this journey in and out. The warning here is stop taking the journey. This is speaking of compromised believers warring and fighting with God. Now, for believers who have been in rebellion against God, I want to show you how God views you. This is important. The Holy Spirit it yearns for you to turn to God. Now, in, in verse 5, in my Bible, the word spirit is capitalized. When you look at many commentators, there's a debate whether this is man's spirit or God's spirit. And I'm going to address it from what I believe it is the Holy Spirit, it is God's spirit. So that's how it'll be, at least in this teaching. So verse 5 and 6. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. The spirit who makes his home in us, that's what dwell is, is, makes his home in us, yearns jealously. He loves you, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God, oh, God will resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's develop this. Remember, the Holy Spirit has become resident within you. The moment you said yes to the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God came in, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. That was a down payment of a, of a future reward that is coming. And that future is our, our marriage will be consummated in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And what is the Holy Spirit of promise? It goes on to tell you this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, until we are in heaven, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit that you have been given is a down payment, an earnest payment, an engagement, so to speak, of a future promised wedding. We are the bride of Christ. 
Jesus is the bridegroom. He will one day come for us. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as an endowment, as a, as a pledge that this will happen in the, in, the, in the future. The Holy Spirit yearns jealous, jealously for his bride, for you, who are oftentimes off doing their own thing. And what does he say in verse 4? Adulterers. He puts it very harsh, very harsh, but this is what the Spirit of God is telling us. I want you to hear this. From the Preacher's Online Sermon Bible, this is a quote. When does the Holy Spirit yearn over us with jealousy? All the time, but in a special way when temptation confronts us and we do wrong. The Holy Spirit is always yearning over us, and he is always jealous over us. But if we turn away from Christ and become a friend of the world, if we become adulterous, the Spirit of God does not, hear this, does not cast us off and turn away from us. He loves us, cares for us, wants to save us, oftentimes from ourselves. He yearns and longs for us with a deep, intense jealousy, yearns and longs for us to return to Christ and to give him our full devotion. How does the Holy Spirit treat a wayward believer? It says right here, the Holy Spirit gives more grace. You know what that is? Grace after grace after grace after grace after grace and keep going with it. Favor after favor after favor. Forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness. On and on. He's gentle with us. He is gentle. To draw the wayward believer back to himself, he will grace you back to sanity. But if a person will resist his grace and say, I don't want that, and it's not just one time. He comes to you and he comes to you and he comes to you. Change, turn, change, turn, change, turn. If you resist his grace, you resist his drawing. If a person continues in sin to rebel, to be a traitor, an adulterer, and act as an enemy of God, God will then stand against the proud. He will resist the proud. Hear this. It is unloving to allow someone to continue in their sin. And God loves you. And he will not allow it. He will grace you, but there will be a time when God says no more. God will stand against you. The outcome of divine discipline, the outcome is divine discipline. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 is the discipline section. And I don't have time to really read all of that and develop it. But remember this, he whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And every legitimate son or daughter is chastened by our God to draw them back. Remember, remember this. If you don't remember anything else in this talk, God's desire is to draw you to himself. He will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Satan will condemn you. And Scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That condemnation is to take you away from God. I can never do this. Satan whispers in, you'll never be successful. You'll never overcome this thing. And the Spirit of God says, yes, you will. And he convicts you, and he draws you, and he graces you, and he says, you can make it. You can make it. You can make the turn. You can make a difference in your life. You can live a life of value and purpose and meaning and have peace that passes all understanding in the midst of this chaos called life on earth. That's what he promises us. But if, and it can reach a point 
that a believer, and this is, I don't know where this is. This is like someplace way out there. But you can reach a point where you spurn God. You ignore him to the point. You, res- you ignore his discipline. That we see at least two times in scriptures that the believer will be taken home prematurely. You will die. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, with the communion, they were inappropriately taking the communion. And it was an insult to God. And God says, for this reason, some people sleep. Because they've come before the Lord's table in their sin, unrepentant, and just were doing it in a cursory manner. And this reason, some people sleep. And in 1 John 5.16, there is a sin that leads to death. But I can tell you, to get to that point, you have gone through grace after grace after grace, and just keep taking it out for as long as you can think. To those who respond, God will, will bring grace to the humble. Turn, and he graces us and graces us because you are his child and he loves you. God loves you. He will nurture you. He will feed you. He will protect you. You turn back to him. The Holy Spirit yearns for you to turn to God. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Wars and fights. The way out of this thing is to submit to God. There's, this is not magical. The way you get out of this is to submit to God. Verse 7 and 8, the root of all the strife, make no mistake, is Satan. Make no mistake, is Satan. Watch this. Therefore, submit to God. Because of all of these things that we've talked about up to this point, therefore, submit to God. And then the promise, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then the promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How do you do this? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Hear this. Recognize that your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. It is going on inside yourself when you have conflict with another person. That is a spiritual battle. It isn't me against somebody else. No, it is a spiritual battle. These are battles that are being contrived and being promoted by an enemy that hates you. Okay, just recognize that. Ephesians 6.12 says this, We wrestle, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but about powers and principalities, the rulers of the darkness of the saints. There is a strata in the enemy realm, in the demonic realm, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The battle is a spiritual battle. Now, knowing this, the evil tongue, worldly wisdom, wars and fights can only be overcome by the only way out is submitting ourselves to God. Submit yourself to God. Put yourself in proper order. Put yourself under God, under him. Secondly, resist the devil, and what will he do? He will Flee from you. He doesn't want to be messing around. He doesn't have time to deal with you individually if you're going to be resisting him. He wants to go to easier turf. Easier turf. Now, how do we resist the devil? Not magical. If we were in a Sunday school class, you'd be throwing up things right now, like the word, prayer, fellowship, that sort of thing. It's not magical. It's time with God. And then do not, do not, do not. Do you understand this, Nick? Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place to grasp onto you. Don't put yourself into situations where he has the right, because you've walked outside of God's cover, to grasp onto you. Do not give him a foothold. 
Romans 13, 14 says this. How do we not give him a foothold? Put on your responsibility. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. How much provision for the flesh? No provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We are to avoid the flesh traps. You know what your trap is. You know what draws you. And it's not magical. The Word of God says, avoid those things. Put on the Lord. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So we submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil and he will flee. And watch this great promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That gaping distance that we have when we sin, when we submit ourselves to God, God comes next to us. And there will be a point when you feel God's arms wrapped around you and he will hold you and he will comfort you when the world will wonder how in the world are they making it through that situation. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. Listen to this. He is not like a human. He is not like a human. You draw near to him, he will come to you. He will not put you off. Say, hey, you need to get a little bit better. You need to, you need to grovel a little bit before, before I take you back. That is never what God does. God, he comes to you. Remember the prodigal son? This is a picture of the father and welcoming the son. Just welcomes you with open arms and grasps you and says, welcome home, son. That's what our God does. He doesn't want you to grovel. And then you next thing you do, you want, you, you want to really carry this out, four step is cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. This happens when you draw near to God. It will be automatic. You can't be next to God and not be clean. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. This is talking about repentance. It's a volitional turning from anything causing moral defilement. It is turning to God, turning away from the world around you. And then finally he says, do not be double-minded. Do not be double-sold or twice-sold. Where your thinking goes, I'm with God, I'm with the world. I'm with God, I'm with the world. If your thinking is double-minded between God and the world, remember in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all things. He will receive nothing. Nothing. Take a God stand in your life. Take a stand. The Holy Spirit is the rod of iron up your spine that allows you to take a stand. Take a God stand. And remember our verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14? What do we do? Watch. Stand fast. Stand fast. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. Watch the world around you. Watch the world around you. Take a stand for God. Not some little wimpy, you know, you're easy to push over. The least little flesh thing comes along and you're just falling all over the place. No, take a God stand. You know how you can take a God stand? You get your gospel shoes on. This is spiritual warfare. You take a gospel shoes, which had cleats underneath. The Roman soldier had cleated shoes, put them at advantage over every other army. You dig in, you take a defensive position, and you aren't easily moved. When that little flesh thing comes and waves its thing in front of you, you're not moved. You are stone solid. Resist the devil. He will flee. He's not going to be messing with you. you got your gospel shoes on. You're taking a stand. You have the word of God planted in your hearts. Take a stand. Take a stand. 
Verse 9 and 10. In wars and fights, oh, listen to this, the humble will be exalted. Not the prideful, not the one who wants their own way, not the strongest. I'm the strongest and physically, you know, that, that, no. The humble will be lifted up, verse 9 and 10. Lament and mourn and weep. He's talking here about the person who is repenting of their worldly life. Lament, cry, mourn, weep. Let your laughter, let your worldly laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And then it says, humble yourself. Who, who does the humbling? Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and oh, the promises. He will lift you up. God is looking for a contrite, broken heart, a repentant heart, a humble heart. That's the opposite of pride. It's opposite of the world. Isaiah has something to say about this also. Isaiah 57, 15 says this. For thus says the high and lofty one. The only one that can call themselves high and lofty is God. Not a human. Not a human. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. But watch this. I dwell in the high and holy place, oh, but with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. God will dwell with you. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. God is a giver. He is a giver of love. He is a giver of forgiveness. He is a giver, a giver, a giver. You will mourn for a time. But in time, the Lord will lift you up. Remember, it's a process. This all doesn't get better overnight. Oh, I want it now. I want microwave Christianity. Put it in, push the button. It's all done now. Everything's better. That's not how it works. It's a process. It takes time with God. And he will lift you up. Remember, sin, compromise, your foray into the world will inevitably, inevitably produce Nothing of value. Oh, it was fun for a moment, but in the end, it produces nothing of value and will do nothing but take from you. Hear the, hear the word, the lamenting, the grieving, the mourning, the weeping. That's wailing aloud. But look at this. For the contrite, the Lord will lift you out of the pit of despair. The Lord will lift you out of that miry pit of despair. And he'll set you on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes you from shaky footing to sure footing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. It will take time, but he will lift you up. Hear the psalmist in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4. This is a great psalm. 40, verses 1 through 4. Notice what the psalmist has to do before he's lifted up. I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, how many of us have patience? Again, we're the microwave Christians. We want it right now. I'm there with you. No, that's not how it works. I waited patiently for the Lord, and watch what he did. And he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. My God is listening for his kids to contact him. He heard my cry. He also, watch what he did. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. That's where the world takes us, a horrible pit. He's willing to lift you up out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, 
and established my steps. He made my steps straight. He made my walk firm and solid. That is what God does. And then watch what the byproduct of that is. The result of being on the rock, he has put a new song in my mouth. What does that sound like? That sounds like joy, doesn't it? He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. And watch this. It's not just isolated to the person. Many will see it, oh, and fear, and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. You will never, ever go wrong leaving the miry clay of the world and making the Lord your trust. Never will you go wrong. And he's always, he's always willing to do what? He's always willing to hug you, take you back. He's not like humans who always have a little guard. I only do it if you grovel a little bit. No, that's not what he does. And he shall lift you up. Now, how to end wars and fights and that sort of thing. This is the conclusion. Are you weary of the fight? Okay, we're all weary of it. Humble yourself. Say uncle to the Spirit's prompting. Uncle, I give up. That's what uncle is. Say uncle to the Spirit's and surrender to God and let him do your fighting. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still, still. Exodus 14, 14. That is, that is the Pharaoh's armies are, are crushing in on the Jewish people. They're stuck at the Red Sea. The people are starting to panic. And God says, God says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. He tells Moses just to tell the people. If you live your life fighting for your way and your rights, if you pray for help, but pray amiss to spend it on your own pleasures, you will end up on the ground eating a lot of dirt in that wrestling match with God. That's what will happen to you. Life will be messy. And you will wonder, how in the world did it get to this? How did it get to this? But if you submit to God, draw near to him, resist Satan's ways. He's always going to come back at you. Always be ready when you're tired, when you're alone, when you've had some emotional disturbance. Oh, he'll come to you, and he'll whisper in your ear things that are not true to draw you away from God. Humble yourself, and God will in due time, it's a process, in due time, lift you up. He will elevate you. He will exalt you, and you will know that it all came from him, from his gracious, gentle, merciful hands. Remember James 1.17, every good and perfect gifts Come down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he loves you. That is the facts. Never forget, God is for you. God's love for you is immense, and he proved it. You know how he proved it? Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's great news. That's good news. Matter of fact, cheer. That's a cheery news. Yes, it is. God, God is for you. God desires to lift you up, to put an end to the wars and the fights in your being and with other beings you are in conflict with, other people in your life. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is how to end wars and fights. Selah.
Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to deal with the wars in ourselves and the wars with other people. Lord, thank you that you've not left us here just wondering what to do. But if we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God, and he will come near to us. If we cleanse our hands, that's what will happen. Our hands will be cleansed as we come near to you, and we will no longer be double-minded, twice sold, half in and half out. Oh, no, we'll be all out for you. I pray that right now for each person that's here today that is in in a war. Maybe you're in a battle right now, and it's just kind of flared up. Oh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Trust in the Lord. Put your trust in him. Stand on the rock, the Lord Jesus, and he will bring joy to your life. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your word that you have given to us to help us through this difficult walk called life on earth. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each one of us. You have spoken to each one of us here today in a different way. Help us to hear what you have to say. May no one here quench the Spirit. May the Spirit of God impact each person here in the unique way that only he can do in our hearts. Let us walk out of here different, fully devoted to you. Thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.